0: This is the show where I get to talk to smart, creative, and ambitious entrepreneurs and leaders who are in the middle of their journey. You know, there's no playbook given to us when we start our businesses. There's a lot that we don't know. There's a lot that we're not told. And so I wanted to build a library of stories of people who have been successful and that we can learn from. And that's what this show is about. And today on the show, I have my new friend, Tanner Marty. Tanner... And I met because he came into my business and he was cold calling me um, to talk about a new venture that he is starting. And uh, we had some good conversations. I learned a little bit about him and I said, hey, man, you need to come in and tell your story. And he obliged and he came on and we had a great conversation. Tanner has a, a long history of running businesses. Uh, He's got an entrepreneurial spirit. He's run multiple businesses to success. Um, And uh, when he was in California, he ran a couple of businesses in the performance and health sector. He ran some gyms to success. And we talked a lot about that. We talked about how he got into it. Uh, His ambition and his drive to succeed was the first thing that really I was drawn to. I mean, he moved from Louisiana to California because he wanted to go where the competition was the fiercest, and I really admired that. So I wanted to talk to him about that and where he got that drive from. Um, and then the pandemic hit, and it was bad for that industry, as bad as it can get. And so he had to exit. And then he moved his family to Idaho, where he is starting a new publishing company and um, putting out a magazine. And so we talked about that. So Tanner. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. It's been wonderful getting to know you and meet you, and um, we are all rooting for your success. So let's get on with the show. Here's Tanner Marty. All right, well I'm joined today with my new friend Tanner Marty, who is an entrepreneur. He's uh, a performance and health consigliere, and uh, he's also getting into some uh, publishing. He's gonna be starting a new magazine here. What's up, Tanner? Hey man, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming in. Uh, thanks for helping me figure out how to introduce you. You threw out a big word and I think I, I, think I nailed it. You did, you nailed it. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, well, I'm excited to talk to you today. I just want to pick your brain. You've got, you have a history of successful businesses and you have some experience and some things that I enjoy talking about and that I know the audience would want to hear about. So why don't we start with something easy? Um, where are you from? And uh, how'd you get to Idaho? Uh,
1: originally from Louisiana. Louisiana, moved around a lot when when I was younger. But that, were, that that's where I was born and spent most of my childhood. Do you have and, any of that? Any any Louisiana?
0: Can you throw in a little
1: Louisiana for me, a little accent? Uh, you know, I mean, this is a whole. The Louisiana accent is a is a whole podcast conversation on its okay. own because there's, there's essentially four distinct accents in the state. I'm sure. Yeah. And I grew up in Baton Rouge. And so there's a Baton Rouge accent. That's very different from new Orleans, which is really more of like, it almost sounds like a New Jersey accent. Yeah, And then you have the, uh, you know, Acadiana part of the state, which is the Southwest part of the state, which has the French accent Creole. And then up North you have more of like a traditional Southern accent and Baton Rouge is kind of this strange combination of them all. But I lived in California for 16 years and I I feel like I lost a lot of it, but there's still some things I say from time to time. My wife picks up. Do you ever go back and it kind of, kind of comes out a little more? (laughs) (laughs) I hear it when I'm around my friends and then there are things that, that, that I'll say some. So yeah. All right. So, uh, how'd you get,
0: how'd you land here in Idaho?
1: So I guess I would go back to, uh, went to college in Louisiana, went to LSU and then moved out to California, uh, to take a job in medical device sales. And, uh, really that was just kind of the engine for getting me out to California. And, uh, you know my my idea was that I while I had lived in a lot of different places in the southeast, uh, I felt like if I was going to if I was going to find out who I really was and what I believed in and what I was about, I needed to go to a place where anything was possible, good, bad, ugly, absurd, criminal, and Los Angeles is the ultimate place for that. <laughs> <laughs> Regardless of what you want to be, if you want to be the best in the most competitive market, Los Angeles is a great place for that. So you if you want to be a surfer, an artist, a musician, a salesman, real estate, whatever it is, you can do it in the, you know, top arena there. And, All right. and so that was that was the opportunity that I saw. So you went to L S U and you studied what? finance finance
0: did you have an idea on what you wanted to do you know once you grabbed your diploma you're like all right i'm gonna go and be a did you have a what would you have said you none know, that you didn't have an answer to that
1: none Yeah, that's okay i uh I, I got a finance degree because there was a girl i was dating in in high school and for a little bit of college and She worked for this family that seemed very wealthy and they took her on vacation all the time to babysit their kids. So I asked her, what does this guy do? He seems to be doing really well. And she said, he's in finance. And I was like, all right, that sounds like a good idea then. So that's why I majored in finance. So you're like
0: Jonah Hill in the Wolf of wall street, right? You're like, do you remember the scene where he's sitting down at the diner? Right. And he's like, if you show me a check right now, I
1: quit and come work for you. Right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I, I, it wasn't very well thought out, you know? Um, and then the first job I got in California was uh, with a great medical device company, like Fortune 100 company. And uh, there was an opportunity to take a sales job. I had an uncle that had been in medical uh, sales for a long time. And he you know, explained that like, look, you're going to get great training. It's a good opportunity. You should do it. It was moving me to the place that I wanted to go. So I, I took the opportunity. Glad I did. It was a, it was a great experience.
0: So I want to talk real quick about, you know, you said why you moved to LA. You're like, it's, you know, it's where the best of the best go It's where the cream rises to the top. It's the most competitive market for all these different types of industries. Like what, where did that come from inside of you where you're like, I want to go there and it's, I, I want to dive headfirst right into the shark tank. You know, like what, where do you think that came from instead of like, well, I'm going to find a job here in Baton Rouge or wherever you were, you know, I'm going to go right into the, you know, mouth of the lion. where How do you think you made that decision or what drove you to want
1: to do that? That's a big jump. You know, there was a few different things, but if I was to try to distill it down into one thing, um, I, I played sports growing up. I was, I was really into basketball. That was like kind of my main thing. And what I found through the process of putting myself through all the training that it would take to be very good, like. What I found was going through that crucible was what revealed my character and who I was and and putting myself voluntarily through those challenges. And, you know, there's a lot of struggles. There's a lot of ups and downs in it. It's not like, you know, it's all some, you know, Van Damme training montage where every day you're getting better and there's, you know, you know, there's this uh, soundtrack to it. And what, so I wanted to put myself through that personally And I felt like, at least for me, to, you know, look back like a decade after I'd gone through it to really know who I was and what I was about, I needed to go somewhere where I could expose myself to everything. Like I said, the good, the bad, all that. And that would be the only way if I put myself through that kind of experience, I could really know who I was. I could really kind of extract the ultimate version of myself and know for sure that like this, I didn't find myself in this position just because I took a job in Baton Rouge and just kind of did everything. And then I look back and I'm like, well, is this really what I wanted? Is this really what was for me? Is this really what extracted the most? Because how much was I even exposed to? So, so without, you wanted to find out who you were like as
0: fast as you could.
1: Yeah. I wanted to, yeah. I, I, I wanted to really like throw myself in the fire. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it was perfect for that. I, 100 check that box going there that's there awesome. was uh you know you feel very confident in knowing who you are and what you're about when you when you do it that way and that's not to say that that's the only way to do it that was just the way that i felt i need to do it to, to do it for me
0: yeah were you confident going out there Were like i'm gonna go and set the world on fire and this is gonna be it and or was there some trepidation or what was your mindset when you moved out there you're like i'm gonna go
1: did you have the job when you moved or did you move without a job i had the job when i moved but i didn't really know anything. i knew one guy yeah that i had had a relationship with i was friends with in college and uh, you know he wasn't one of my best friends but he was you know someone i was friends with and that was it so i was i was i was enthusiastic i was optimistic i was also scared um you know it was gonna be really far away from everyone i knew and um uh, you know, I'd never imagined a job in sales. So I also didn't really know what I was getting into in that regard, but I was also really excited to kind of paint on this blank canvas. There was also something very liberating about being far away from everyone and being able to kind of, you know, invent myself. uh, Yeah. Yeah. I did the same thing. I moved, I moved I'm from
0: Chicago and my first job was uh, in New York. And I was like, I'm going to get out of here. I don't, I didn't know what soul in New York, you know, and, um, I was comfortable with that. I was, I wanted to see what I could do on my own and see what I could prove to myself. And then I moved to Washington state. I was like, I'm going to go coast to coast, you know? So Like I understand that and it was, and it's exciting being out on your own and and trying to make it on your own and, and see what struggles are there and having enough confidence just to do that is a lot, you know? Um, so what was it like when you landed? Like talk me through what your first job was. You were in sales (laughs) for a while. Sales is a tough pool to jump into too. So like, what
1: was your experience like there? It was, uh, so I, I drove out there and, you know, started training pretty quick. Um, Went through a good training program. You know, there was some things that in hindsight, there was, you know, some good value to it. It definitely uh, gave you some of the foundational tools. The other thing was it was an inside sales job. So it was like doing phone sales with these like warm leads. You had a, a counterpart out in the field that was kind of like establishing some of the relationships. And then it was our responsibility to close it and kind of like tie all the, the insurance and the and the doctors and the prescriptions and all like kind of put... The whole thing all all together, and what was great about that was because there was so much business, you got a lot of repetition. Like you sure. like you got a lot of practice. Right, and you know the girl who was supposed to—I'll never forget this—this this woman Carla, uh, love her to death. Uh, she was supposed to do my training. But she had been covering the territory I was ultimately going to take over and she was pregnant. So she was going to be leaving like any week now. She was so over it. She just wanted to like go on maternity leave. And so I remember the first day I thought like, well, I'm just going to listen to her a few times and then we'll slowly get into it. Literally the first call she got, she gave me the phone. She's like, here, take it. I've had it. And I was like, I didn't even have time to be scared. But (laughs) like, you know, you kind of don't know what you don't know. And and so, yeah, just the amount of repetition in that job was awesome. Yeah uh, for just the practice of having these kind of conversations with people listening, um, you know, asking good questions, um, not getting too attached to rejection or someone not seeing something your way and also not projecting yourself and your experiences onto someone else's experience. So there Mm -hmm. was a lot of, a lot of intrinsic value there. And, uh, but ultimately, you know, I could go through some of the other things. There's also some things about working in corporate America that, that aren't the most awesome, especially in a sales job like that, where there's kind of this, you know, zero sum game, uh, you know, like, well, if this, if you get the promotion, that means I didn't get it. So there's a lot of like, you know, not always the most supportive, uh, system. And and there was some other things that I could kind of see as writing on the wall that I really wasn't in love with. And so I took another job uh, selling medical research software that actually got me an outside sales, because that was the other thing. Uh, At the the first company I was at, there was a pretty long track to go from inside to outside. Mm -hmm. And frankly, like if you were really good on the inside, they kind of almost didn't want to lose you there, you know, so they weren't always trying to kind of look out for your best interests all the time, you know, and there was so... Uh, took a job in in uh, outside sales doing this medical research software, which was also a good experience because that was the first time I was going and like cold calling and having to walk into places and like, oh man, what a frightening experience in the beginning yeah, walk me through uh, whats give me some give me some best practices for for
0: walking into places and trying to sell them something because it's I mean that's how we met <laughs> I mean, yeah, so yeah, yeah so and uh, I want to hear because it's tough I did it too, you know and I remember when I first started, uh, I had no idea what I was doing. I knew I had to do it and I started doing it, but without any thought behind it, you know, I didn't have anybody telling me what to do cause I was running my own shop at that point and I knew that I had to do it. And I was like, well, I'll just go see what happens. And, and you know, I didn't do it right. I learned how to do it right, but I want to hear it from you. So like, what did, uh, what was your experience like there?
1: You know, just a, just a few. Well, the first thing was I did have some good direction from, uh, from my boss and, and he essentially told me the first places you need to try to walk in are the hospitals that are like the least likely to be able to buy our software because you need to skin your knees on the places right. that like it's not going to matter or fail fast and right? just go fail. Cause like I could, you know, He was like, I could tell you exactly what I would say, but that's gonna be different from every situation. So you kind of just need to go out there and and do it. Mm -hmm. And so uh the other thing was that I wanted to because we also were a new company, small startup and everything. So it wasn't like I had like a business card that had like a, you know, Johnson and Johnson on it where someone's gonna like or striker, where it's like, oh, like you're with striker, so there's a certain legitimacy there. Like, matter of fact. We had the first software that could that could actually do what it could do. So when I would tell people what we could do, they would. The reaction was, "That's impossible. That that yeah, is that you're that, lying. That, to that me. technology does not exist." So a lot of what I was doing was just kind of like, "No, like we actually can do it." And I was also really young too, so they were like, "You don't know what you're talking about." Right. So I had a lot of things working against me there. But one of the things that allowed me to at least get my foot in the door was doing some advanced research so even though i didn't necessarily have an appointment or i didn't have any credibility if i knew the right people to ask for and i kind of went in there with some knowledge of who it was i needed to talk to and you know just some lay of the land that was helpful it at least gave me a few moments to like you know for to disarm someone yeah um then you know the other things would be, and this would be different from industry to industry, but to really try not to sound like every other salesman. So, and this is something I'm, you know, even being reminded of now that I'm going back to doing some cold calling and, and, in, in, in the, the magazine venture. Now I'm kind of remembering some of these things is like, most businesses are being pitched to all the time. And especially in the medical industry, doctors are constantly getting pitched to by everybody. And so, you need to find some way to sound different. And that doesn't necessarily mean like say something totally out of pocket. It just means in general, make it more about them than you I think is probably one of the biggest takeaways is if you go in and immediately go into who you are, who you're with, what your product can do, how you can help them, you've made the entire thing about you. Uh And if on the other hand, you can ask some connecting questions, to make it about them to see if there even is a potential sale to be made because maybe there isn't. Right. And that's okay. Totally. So There's other value that can come from those conversations. Yeah, a ton of right. relationships. There's a lot of relationships I've made where I didn't get the Sale, You know, I'm using quote fingers here, but ultimately I built a relationship and that turned into something down the road and that's okay too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean,
0: you're coming in behind the eight ball. People know why you're rolling into their office. Yeah. You know, we see people coming in. We're like, oh. sometimes it's written all over the truck. You're like, someone rolls in here and you're like, Oh, here comes another glass guy or restoration. I know exactly what they're doing. And at this point I've been doing this for 18 years. Like we, we have our relationships and things like that. I'll still, listen to them and things like that. But I am, I'm looking for like, what are they doing? That's different than the people we're referring to right now, or what can they do better? And you can tell if they're prepared or not. You can tell if they're new or not. Like someone who's seen hundreds of these people come in, I will kind of, you know, run them through the test and, And people will get business from me one way or another um, because we may be in a situation where we need a new roofer or something like that. That just happened recently and I had a roofer come in and he did great and we're going to send him business and stuff like that. So some of it's timing, but, but I also want to be confident with who I'm referring to, you know? So, so yeah, it's a, it's a tough job and it's something you got to learn and you have to be able to accept failure and, and learn from it and, and keep plugging away. How long were you
1: doing that? So I did that for about a year and the, the travel was, was so insane that at first it was one of the things that attracted me to the job because it was going to be this great way to see the Western United States, but because we only legitimately sold, like even though I went into a lot of these other hospitals, we only legitimately sold to big time research institutions because what our software was for was research and you had to be having pretty large budgets to afford and doing a certain type of research that was always uh, that was already pretty high priced So it wasn't like I could drive around Los Angeles and hit 10 prospects. Like, yeah, you had a real good niche. Yeah, it was, it was niche. And once I could prove to them through a demonstration that we actually could do what I told them we could do, which they thought was impossible. What my typical routine was like was this. So I would, let's say it was like a Monday. I would wake up, I would hit a couple places in Los Angeles or in like Orange County, a little further South of of Los Angeles. And I would try to make a couple calls. Then, uh, maybe Tuesday morning I would drive to San Diego. I would do a couple calls in San Diego. Then I would leave and uh, fly to San Francisco. I would make a day of calls in San Francisco. Then from there I would fly to Portland. I would hit up Oregon health and sciences, and then I would take the train to Seattle and hit university of Washington medical in the Seattle VA. Then I would fly either back to San Diego, pick up my car do a day in San Diego, then LA spend a couple nights at home, do some laundry and then do it again. Or sometimes I would go from Seattle to Denver. And cause we had a, we had a, a VA in Denver and we also had a company that was a third party medical device company, uh, COVIDian, which made pulse oximetry equipment that could be paired up with our, our software. And, that would be where I would try to jam as many uh, meetings as I could in Denver into a small period of time, so then I could go snowboarding <laughs> for a couple days, and then right. I would I would do the whole thing, you know, in reverse. Yeah. And uh, at first, it was really exciting. I was young and single, and so it was like kind of awesome. I met a lot of cool people and had a lot of good times. And my uh, the guys who who were my my bosses were were kind of wild men themselves, and so like there was a lot of good times. But it also after about after about nine, 10 months of it, I was pretty ragged out. And, uh, it it sounds cliche to say this, but there was a a few times towards the end where like, I was waking up in a hotel and having to like check the phone to be like, wait, am I in Seattle or Portland right now? And (laughs) you're a band on tour. Yeah. And, and, you know, um, health and fitness had always been a, a really big kind of anchor point in my, in my life. And I found myself getting further and further away from that. And I could just see that it wasn't sustainable. And then The guys who were mentoring me that I was supposed to be aspiring to be like, while they were skilled salesmen and they had a lot of experience and they were sharp, great guys who were a lot of fun to be around, the kind of common denominator was like divorce, not the greatest uh, relationships with any kids they had um, functioning kind of alcoholism and not the healthiest guys. And I c- could kind of see that like, well, I'm being groomed to essentially be this yeah. and that is not who I want to be. So kind of going back to my reasons for going to Los Angeles and and one of the powerful lessons that I think that, uh, people, but also entrepreneurs learn is like, you also learn what's not for you. Yeah. And that is a powerful thing to eliminate, because then it allows you to focus on things that can actually be constructive that also resonate with you. Well, good for you for
0: recognizing that and seeing that and kind of seeing the writing on the wall and being true to yourself. I mean, I think that's, that says a lot. How did you gracefully exit from that world and what happened? I think you went into health and fitness world for a while after that. So let's, let's build that bridge.
1: I did. So, um, I was getting pretty, pretty run down. The sales cycle was really, really long too. So like, you know, it might take, I sold the system to UCLA and I'll never forget. It took, you know, almost nine months to do it. And then on the final day, I had to spend two or three days going around UCLA medical, getting like 20 something signatures. And like, it it, it was, it was crazy, but I I basically told these guys like they were all way further along in their career. And so I, I just kind of came to them I'm like, look, I don't have enough you know money saved from my previous employment to like float myself for this period of time. Like you guys are all in your, you know, late forties, fifties. One guy was in his early sixties. Like, you know, it's okay for you guys to like not make a sale for a year because the upside on this is so big that, you know, you can wait, but I'm just not in that situation. So we parted on good terms. Um, I'm a really good note taker. So I was able to hand off this book of notes to these guys and they were like, oh, wow, like we've really got everything. So it was all good. But around that same time, I, I because I got that sale with UCLA, I did have some some cash and so I had some opportunity. So I had the luxury of being able to take a beat and kind of being like, okay, now I've learned a lot about myself but I need to figure out what the next step is. And I didn't want to go back to the, the corporate America thing, like not in the cubicle farm kind of, you know, that, that type of situation. Um, I did have some skills I had learned. I also had you know developed a certain sense of courage from some of those decisions and everything. And uh, around that time, I, I met a guy who actually did my taxes, who we kind of hit it off over a couple different things, one of them being training, um, in hindsight, so he invited me to do a workout with him. In hindsight, he told me he was trying to sell me as a client. He wanted me to be his client, but I ended up like running circles around him in the workout we did. So by the end of it, he's like, geez, dude, like you're way fitter (laughs) than me. And we hit it off, but he was opening a private training studio and was a great trainer, super sharp guy, a bro became a mentor to me. Um, but he needed some help with sales and business development. So he essentially pitched me on like you know, hey man, you have a knowledge for this and you have some sales skills and communication skills that are kind of some of the intangibles in this business. Um, you know, if you would be open to me mentoring you on the kind of science of, of training and you help me with the sales and business development, I think it could be a good pair and, and I can teach you a skill that you can do well with. And I was like, well, I don't know about that because my at that point, my idea of a, of a personal trainer was like kind of the guys I saw at like, La Fitness right. and places twenty four hour Fitness. I'm like, dude, that's not a good. That's not a good living. And right. he was like, no, no, no. He goes, there is a way. <laughs> if you're doing it on kind of high end boutique, you know, uh, with you know, with with serious individuals and everything. And so he kind of like laid it out there, and he was totally correct. And so we started a, a business together, private training studio, and uh, called Leaf. It was in Santa Monica, California, and he had had a little bit of a of a following from his previous jobs he was at an Equinox. So he had some business to kind of like in the beginning, like, Hey man, I'm going to give you a couple people to help you get started. You help me with this sales stuff and we'll go from there. So we did that for three years. It was really successful, learned a ton. And you know, it was also good because we were bootstrapping it. So you have to learn a lot of things and like, you don't actually have the luxury to make a lot of mistakes that people that get a huge investment in the beginning right. often make. So we kind of had to learn how to be successful with, you know, grinding it out and with certain strategies when you, when you don't have money to be able to do it, which is a really good thing. I think everyone should learn.
0: Well, let's talk about a couple things that you just said. One, you said you learned a lot. I'm curious. i what. I got a bunch of questions, but um, let's start there. Like what did you learn during this period of time? And then I do want to circle back and be like, you know, how do you build a business on a, on a bootstrap budget? Because, um, I understand what that's like, and I want to hear how you did it. So, like, what kind of things did you learn from him while you were, you know, launching? And then, and then, what kind of things did you do, you know, for client acquisition? Or, you know, how did you fail fast enough and and not fail so much that you were still driving revenue? You know, at the end of the day, you had to be driving revenue. So, so, how did you? What did you learn? And, and how did you do all that?
1: Great questions. So, number one, what I learned from him was that. Just being fit and enthusiastic was not enough to be a successful trainer at the level that like you can, it can support a business and an actual, you know, eventually a family wealth building savings, things like that. Like you have to learn. And so he was really sharp. He turned me on to a lot of stuff. I'm also very competitive. So I had to objectively acknowledge that he was a better trainer than me. And I hated that. (laughs) Um, Even though we were friends, we had a really healthy competition all the time, but it it drove me and, and he was always very open about like, Hey man, this is what you need to be reading, listening to. Then let's talk about it. Things like that. So like number one is you have to be good at your craft or if it's a product business, like your widget needs to be good. And, too many I saw this many times with other people over the years I was in Santa Monica as a gym owner, as a business owner, is that people were so they were rushing launching that they didn't have things dialed in. So some like some of the important things. Exactly. And so because we didn't have the money to like do this grand launch and all this stuff, we kind of like had to start off really slow, which actually was good for me because I wasn't ready for it yet so like the you know the first six months or so while we were just kind of getting things going before we even had the money to you know throw into some PR and marketing and stuff was me just like getting my skills sharp and the other thing I did was I went and got a job at a at a gym right nearby that also allowed me just to get more reps so I wasn't making as much money at that gym but they were able to like feed me a lot of clientele and uh, and so I just worked really hard to get really good at my craft and like really just do as many sessions as I as I possibly could. So like you know in the beginning as a trainer you're doing like a lot of free intros and stuff like that. And like you know at a certain point you, you get in your career at least in the in the fitness business you shouldn't be doing that anymore. But if that's a way that you can practice, then like you just need to practice what you're doing a lot. Or if it's a product, you just need to be really dialing your product a lot. Because when your service and product are really good, even if you don't have sales skills, it's it's really just you sharing how good your product is with the right person. So like it doesn't feel like you're having to sell something hard, you know? yeah, like the market decides, right. Exactly. And then really what it is, is, is because you've dialed the product and service so much, you know a lot about it. So really it's just having a conversation with people. So going back to like skills and sales and everything, when you get to a point where you're not pitching or presenting or selling someone is, and you're just having a dialogue and maybe there is a sale to be made, maybe there's not, but you're just having a human interaction with someone and you have you can help them identify some problems or they, you know, you ask questions where they identify what the problems are. And then if your product or service can actually fill that gap, then there's not really a selling, right, like like this intense selling environment that even needs to happen. And, uh, and so then it just becomes like a much more effortless thing that is really enjoyable and you get to meet great people and you know, you potentially get to help a lot of them. So, yeah. Wow. That's,
0: I love all of that. I mean, the fact that you're just having conversations, uncovering a need, you know, you might have the answer to that need, you know, and that comes up again, organically through probably education about your, your system or your, or your product or whatever it is. And, um, and if you have the belief in the product, which is just as important, you know, those two things collide really beautifully and you guys can essentially help each other out, right? Like they become a client and you help them achieve what they want to achieve. And, and it's great, you know, so absolutely. Yeah, I love that. What kind of things did you do to, you know, to be successful in your first whatever six month, three months, six months, you know to to keep to drive revenue, but to keep your expenses low. Yeah.
1: So you know we did a lot of uh, networking and in person stuff, and a lot of like meeting people, and it was because going back to what we just said, like we knew what we were talking about, and uh, we we had good answers. We 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 could really talk through how we could help people. We were enthusiastic about it, which was also fueled by also being scared out of our minds that like we were going to run out of money, (laughs) but there's, but there's enthusiasm. Quiet desperation never hurt. Right. Yeah. 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 You know, you know, at least to get out there, it's like, you know, it gets you out there and it gets you to events that maybe otherwise you'd be like, Oh, we're not going to meet anybody here. But like, you never know. You meet one person there and then that person turns into a a, a great network. So like, Anytime we could go somewhere where we knew there was going to be an opportunity to have quality conversations that weren't like rushed or forced, we took the opportunity to do it. And, you know, me and my partner uh, were also like, you know, we were fit and there was a few things we could do to attract some attention that, you know, that brought people over. I don't mean anything cheap, but like you know, there were, you know, we would have networking events and like, you know, we would pick someone from the crowd and do like a Turkish get up with a human. So rather than holding a weight, we would get like, you know, a girl that weighed like 120 pounds, 130 pounds. And, you know, we would start on the ground and pick her all the way up and go from the floor to overhead. So if you don't know what a Turkish get up is, look that up. And, uh, but also just having, you know, it was really more about like going anywhere where we could have good conversations because then we could get someone to come in and they could do an intro and if they did an intro then we were going to nail it with these people and even there were times that the person maybe you know for whatever reason couldn't afford it or something but we generally also got a good referral from that yeah and so then you know we had this like small small group of people who was enough for us to be making money taking care of ourselves but then also putting a little money back into the business And we were also very disciplined about not trying to like scale too fast, Mm -hmm. which then we would have lost the quality of what we were doing. And then that would have ultimately hurt us from getting all the great referrals we got because rather than us try to like hire two or three more trainers so that we could duplicate all of our efforts more, like we just focused on me, him, one other guy, then we brought another guy in maybe about a year into it. And we made sure they were really high level and they could, you know, we, we were also very like-minded. So even though we might do certain things a little bit different, there needed to be a cohesion there. It wasn't about just like going after someone who was super charismatic or that already had a bunch of clients that we could essentially like kind of buy a piece of their business and bring them in. We, we needed people that were, that were like-minded so that any conversations that were had were going to be very similar coming from the same place. And really doing a good job with these people and asking for referrals and you know also doing events and things where they would also bring friends and family so you know we'd have barbecues different things like that at the beach like kind of these organic things where like we invited them to also invite their friends and family and stuff like that and and that was really helpful and uh you know, that was really like kind of word of mouth was it was just a big part of what we did there word of mouth and just any opportunity to have good conversations with people.
0: Tell me when did you know that you were good? Like when were you like, all right, I think I think that what we're working on here is actually working because there's fear and trepidation when you start like you're like, I've never done this before. And like, let's see. Let's see how it goes and let's see what happens. Like, when did you have the moment? You're like, huh? I think we've, I think we have something real here. And what was that moment like? And what did you do with it? Like, how did you, how did you, you know, parlay that into, you know, the next phase or whatever you, whatever you did next?
1: Yeah. You know, um, I, that's a great question. I remember actually like kind of a moment. So my business partner was feeling really confident about things about a year into it. He had hit a lot of goals he had, but he had set all these goals based on his previous experience as a trainer. So he had like, and he was also already confident in his skill level. I was not. So it took me about like two years to really feel like I belong here. I'm, you know, there's not this big gap between me and the kind of conversations and the level that my partner can speak at. Like I'm feeling really confident in myself. I'm also now, you know, completely not reliant on the business or, or my partner generating any clientele for me. Like I am 100% have my own stream. And as a matter of fact, I'm now like sending people that I can't take to other trainers within the business. So I'm like producing a lot and I was feeling really, really good. And, uh, I remember like, I was also like, you know, starting to make really good money for the first time. So, you know, like Los Angeles really expensive city, but I'm, you know, just kind of enjoying like living in this city as a single guy that's making good money and everything. And right about that time when I'm feeling really good about things, I met a woman who later became my wife and pretty quickly and, and uh, you know, not planned uh she got pregnant and around that same time my business partner told me that he didn't want to renew the lease on the place that we had because he wanted to travel the world with uh, a documentary he wanted to make so like right as i was getting really comfortable and like oh this is going to be another three to five years of us just you know this linear progression it was like oh now i'm i'm going to be a father and uh and my partner is leaving, who's you know been like kind of a stabilizing force and helped me a lot in, in, in some guidance early on. And now I got to figure out my own thing. Yeah. And uh, and so there wasn't really much time to kind of rest on my laurels. So I went back to being terrified again, <laughs> and because I was going to have to do my own thing, and uh, which was also great because I was going to expand the footprint and do and, and do more. Um, so I kind of dove in, and then I opened a gym by myself and uh that became really successful and and it was a little faster than the than the first time and you know we had you know there was a reputation and there was some word of mouth that we could kind of build on and then there was some some new things that we could do and that was about 16 months with the second gym that I did on my own before it was like okay this is definitely working and it's predictable and it's growing faster and faster and we're really successful. And, uh, we cruised like that for about another year and a half. And then it was time to expand because at that point we were bursting at the seams and it was getting to a point where like the quality of the experience for the client was actually diminishing because there was just too many people and just too much happening in the gym all the time. And so we needed to expand and so we expanded into a much larger facility and, uh, that had its own challenges and things that you learn about, you know, dealing with the city and zoning and permits Bad. and, and yeah, brutal. Yeah. Um, if there, if there's a piece of advice I could give to every entrepreneur that, that needs to have a brick and mortar, that's not just like straight office space, but like you're actually going in because, uh, it's a service or, uh, you know, where you need to change anything with like, do your homework really hardcore before you sign a lease. Because once you sign that lease, you know, your landlord's not going to let you out because you find out you can't actually run your business the way you want in there because of different, you know, ordinances and things like that. So if there was ever a piece of advice I could give to someone, it would be make sure that, you do all your due diligence work, and that you try to find every reason that it can't work in there, so you really exhaust uh, those possibilities. So, what
0: resources would you recommend somebody use to do their due diligence? You know, to see if this is going to be a viable option for them or not. I mean, it's great advice, but like, what? Where do you point somebody to be like, all right, this is what I want to do how do I figure out if it's possible or not?
1: So I'm sure it's a little different everywhere else. And in Santa Monica, there was, you know, the the people that actually worked in city hall were the least helpful people (laughs) you could ever meet in your life. So, you know, the first thing I would say is, you know, you need to look up whatever, you know, city you're going to be doing business in and like just do a lot of research on their website. Like, you know, business zoning, parking is always a big one um permitting different things like that like do a bunch of research before you ever even go and talk to someone because then you're going to be able to ask way more informed questions and you will be able to act because these people that work there at least in my experience are not they're not answering beyond the direct question you ask them so like and they probably don't care if you succeed or not they don't care at all because you're one of a hundred people they have to see that day and they're just trying to like You know, check that box so they can get to the next number on the queue. Right. And they are not necessarily consulting you. They are just answering in the shortest way possible whatever direct question you ask them. So... yeah they're not like tanner
0: i really want to help you be successful here let's figure it out like you're not getting that that
1: no one is telling you hey um you know so you can do that but here are some pitfalls you haven't asked me about let me explain (laughs) those to you (laughs) right you have to do all that kind of stuff yourself and that, that then also you know make sure that the people that you hire to help you with that kind of stuff that you really vet those people and ask them a lot of hard questions about like, what experience do you have doing this? Are you, you know, we ended up finding out the, The contractor we hired wasn't even licensed in Santa Monica, which created a bunch of other issues for us down the road. Ah, So the hard lessons. Yeah, you know, and I I was trying to actually do the guy a solid. He was a member at the gym, and I had this, uh, you know, utopian idea that I was going to have all the work done by people that were already within our community, our gym community, to make it by and about the community and everything. Yeah. And that ended up, uh, you know, not working to my benefit. I had this guy that, you know, essentially lied to me about what he was able to do and what he was actually legally allowed to do and all this stuff ended up costing me a lot of money. And, uh, and that was really scary, but yeah, you know, make sure you got your, your T's and T's crossed and I's dotted on that kind of stuff. And it's, it's, it's just going to require a lot of work and reading on your end and, you know, also your, your commercial real estate agent can be helpful up to a point, but you got to remember, like they're also trying to do this deal. They're not going to sit down and read all the zoning and planning ordinances to find a reason why not to do the deal, you know? Right. So, so that's another thing. Like you ultimately just have to take extreme personal responsibility. And that's maybe the ultimate thing. Skill of an entrepreneur is like, yeah, it's, it's extreme personal responsibility. And a lot of times something that happens, isn't your fault, but it's your responsibility, your responsibility? to fi- fix it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's great advice. So when does this
0: portion of your journey end? Like how does the, how far did you take this
1: and how did you exit? Uh, we were rolling. We, we had a super successful business. We, uh, you know, it was kind of, I, I was, I was living the dream at that point. I had a gym that was, uh, a few blocks off the beach. I was living a couple blocks off the beach by this point I have two kids family gym's rolling um, super successful we're expanding again have a huge staff of people that are just great people another piece of advice be be slow to hire yes that was one of the things I didn't have to learn the hard way I was like very and, and part of it was I was just so protective of the brand that like I didn't want to bring people in just to bring someone else in because right. maybe I could make a quick buck for a few months I was like always very very careful about who I brought in so as a result we, we never had anyone leave willingly. I had to, I had to uh, let go of a couple people, primarily front desk that didn't work out, but, but we had to let, but we'd never had anyone leave. And in the, in the gym industry for trainers, not to jump ship is a pretty rare thing. So, I mean, we had people work for us for over a decade. And so
0: real quick, cause this is a, this is a tough skill too, is, is hiring and training and onboarding new people. You know, what, what are some ways that you were able to, I don't know how involved you were at the hiring process. I'm sure you were with certain levels of management and things like that, but you know, what kind of things did you do to properly, you know, identify if someone was going to be a good fit for you because interviewing is tough and people will lie right to your face and they will tell you things that are false or they will give you skills that they think they have, mm-hmm. but they don't have, you know, I've hired plenty of, Salespeople, quote yeah. unquote, that told me they could sell and they can't. You know, it's a belief that they have that I think a lot of people in interviews tell you what they wish they were, but they don't tell you who they really are. And so I'm just wondering if you have any advice on like when you're interviewing someone and you're going to pull the trigger and hire someone, like is there some sort of thing that you look for or is it a feeling? Like, how do you know when you, what's your, how do you know? that you're going to take a chance on someone and the chances that they're going to, they're going to be good for you.
1: Great question. Um, the model that I ran at the gym lent itself to me being able to vet people before I ever had to hire them. So I'll, I'll explain that real quick because maybe for someone else it is applicable, but it's not going to be applicable for everyone if that's cool. Yeah. So I had a unique model in that we didn't really allow people to come in and use the gym on their own. That that wasn't what we did. We had one-on-one group training. We had, or excuse me, we had one-on-one personal training. We had group training. We uh, had a chiropractor, a couple massage therapists. Uh, we did some, you know, nutritional consulting and you know performance optimization and stuff like that. Um, and then the other part of our business that was really successful was we would allow other trainers and practitioners to rent space at our gym to bring their own clientele. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so one of the things I did that was always strategic was anytime I opened a gym, I opened it within a couple miles of an Equinox because I knew what Equinox took as a cut from their trainers. And if someone was a really successful trainer at Equinox, they at least had the like foundational skills and the, the the grit to like kind of grind through being a trainer but equinox was going to take 60 percent from them so when i would open up a shop near an equinox i would build a relationship with one of the top trainers there and then i would be like well look if you come to my place i'm just going to charge you a flat amount and you can keep everything else and your clients don't have to be a member here so if they left equinox and took their clientele and brought them to me and just rented space for me, they were instantly getting like a, you know, 50% pay raise and they didn't have to deal with all the corporate BS. So, uh, so what I would do is then, you know, then I would be like, well, Hey, look, man, I'll give you a little, uh, you know, referral fee if you, if you can tell other trainers about us. So that's how we, how we developed this really good independent training business. But what I would do is I would allow a trainer to come and rent from us. And then I would just watch them for months And be like, is this person a professional? Do they do a good job? And and not just like, are they a good trainer necessarily? Like, I'm seeing their clients uh, progress or, you know, or what they're doing from a technical perspective. That's important. That's certainly important. But it was also just things like, are they early before their clients? you know, when I tell them that like trainers can't park in this part of the parking lot, is this a person that I'm seeing like when they don't think I'm here doing that kind of stuff, just like how does this person go about Looking their business? For character flaws? Yeah, exactly. And so like, and that's kind of, I think one of the points too is like little things like, you know, is this person showing up and like, you know, we're trainers. So we're essentially wearing like workout clothes, but like, is it clean? Yeah. Are they, what kind of conversations do I in relationship building? Do I hear them having are they the kind of trainer that picks up after themselves and their client or am I always having to pick up after them so these are all the things that I would just be watching for beyond what they said it was just kind of like what are this person's actions telling me about how they go about doing something because even if they aren't maybe the most technical trainer or they don't do things exactly the way I do if they had these other things about their character that are solid I can teach them some of the other things and so then I kind of had this good idea. So that's why I say it like it was a little bit of an unfair advantage for me because I got an opportunity to watch these people over the course of, of many, many months. Yeah, But, um, you know, I, I think maybe the lesson that anyone can take from it is that like, more than just what this person's saying. If you had them meet you, you know, maybe a few different times, just pay attention to those kind of things yeah. because these are, you know, either red flags or these are, you know, green, lights. green lights that, yeah. that say like, Hey, this is a solid person, you know? Yeah. That's great advice. I love that. Well, why don't you get me to
0: present day? Like, what are you doing today? How did you end up getting to Idaho? Um, and let's talk about your new venture.
1: Yeah. So, uh, because of, so the the L.A. County's response to COVID was to shut down gyms for 16 months. And
0: was that was that bad for you? It was tough. <laughs> uh, it was not ideal. It was uh. not
1: ideal. And and we you know what made it painful, and you know maybe this is a lesson too, is we had we had gotten the gym to a point where we were doing really well financially, and my wife and I were removing ourselves from the business. So my oh. wife had been you know kind of the general manager, and we had essentially replaced her role. I was, you know, maybe at the gym a few hours a day. And like, honestly, a lot of the time I was at the gym was teaching classes or training clients that I just really enjoyed. Like people that like you know, don't tell them this, but I would have hung out with them for free, you know, but they were paying me to hang out with them for three hours a week. But, uh, well, you earned the right to get there. Like you made it. Yeah. So we were, we were there and we were cruising and then, uh, and then COVID happened and, you know, LA County shut gyms down. My landlords wanted all their money. I, you know, wasn't in a position where I felt like that was a good idea. So long story short, I pivoted out of the brick and mortar gym business. We actually sold the lease and all the entitlements uh, to another group that wanted to take over the property. And I pivoted into kind of the more, you know, the digital space. So I still have a training business uh, back in, in in Santa Monica where we pair people up with trainers that are a good fit to, to help them out. And then I have an online program that I do with people uh, that's specifically focused on like how how business owners like yourself or executives that are busy that want to perform their best and but don't have a lot of time and also want to do it in a way that, you know, is keeping longevity in mind rather than like mortgaging the future for performance now. Uh, so I work with people to, to kind of help them put frameworks together for that. And, and that's a big part of what I do. And uh, but that also allowed me to live anywhere. And so, uh, you know, Los Angeles is great when you're single and um, but once you have a family it's it's not really at least like kind of what I wanted for my family and we wanted to get somewhere that was you know a little closer to nature and you know this area had a lot to offer so my wife and I uh, came out here fell in love with it people are great nature's awesome Uh, you know there's a, a lot of opportunity here mm-hmm. and it really has just resonated with us and in, in a lot of ways and so now we have the neighborhood and the kids are you know riding bikes and skating and it's kind of like a non-stop roller derby in the cul-de-sac and all that so that's yeah. great when did you get here uh got here in uh beginning of august last year august 2022 yep august 2022 we got here and uh you know really really enjoying it. The, the thing that I missed and what I do now though, is there is not the aspect of community really in like, you know, online training. As a matter of fact, all my best clients are the ones that I I typically communicate with the least because they're motivated and they just, they follow the instructions and there's fairly minimal interaction. But, you know, going back to the, to the gym, when, You know, you asked me about what I thought or when I thought I was going to be successful. So what I thought was going to make me successful was that I took my craft very seriously. And I thought that I would be successful because I could share my knowledge base about training, nutrition, and that I could also provide some guardrails of accountability. And that I could also just be, I was very enthusiastic about it. And I thought that that would be helpful. And those things are certainly important. What I didn't. Realized was how important community was and that that was what I was providing people that actually was the gravity and, and the glue that was holding people there and that and that was allowing people to extract the best version of themselves because they had this community of people that were going through the same thing yeah. and that wanted the same thing and that was a super powerful thing. And uh, so for, for businesses, I say that because not just gym businesses or fitness businesses, but businesses where community is an aspect of it, don't discount that that's huge. And when you can do that, then that does a lot of the marketing and and selling for you. And it, and it certainly retains business. So then, you know, for us, we never had to go out and try to find like, well, you know, if we don't get, you know, 50 new members or clients this month, it's over because we never lost anyone. Yeah. We retain so much of our business because of this community aspect. And so, uh, being out here, you know, we, we didn't know anyone when, when we moved out here. And uh, so the opportunity with the social publication is as an opportunity to build community, not through a gym, but through, you know, a publication that brings a neighborhood together and also brings businesses to this neighborhood uh, to, you know, develop more relationships and trust. So, you know, I saw it as a, as just another community building project.
0: Yeah. How did that idea get into your head? You know, as far as publication, is it, is it like is it like a franchise? I was thinking about this. and like, I've seen these magazines before. Are the people that do these magazines just doing them all from scratch? Is there is it is it like a program that you buy into? Is there a company that's like, here's your template, you fill the holes? Like, what is
1: it? How does it work? So I can only speak to to the one I'm involved sure. in with social publication. So you know, there was two founders that have been doing this kind of thing before. And they build a magazine. And what's unique about social publication is that the stories in the magazine are primarily contributed by the neighbors, by the residents, that the publication serves itself. Um, And then there's a whole staff that does the, you know, the writing and the photography and editing and stuff like that. Do you have
0: to provide that? um, The staff.
1: No. Okay. That's, that's part of something that they, that they build in. My prayer primary job is building relationships with the neighbors so that we can get those contributions and start kind of, you know, reinforcing that connective tissue. And, uh, and you know, people, because we're keeping it fun and positive and it's about their neighborhood, it's not hard, you know, for people want to be involved. People like when their neighborhood has something that's positive about it, that's bringing people together. So that part actually isn't hard. It's, uh, you know, it's the, the, the bigger challenge is finding businesses that view that, that neighborhood number one is like the kind of ideal, you know, client or customer or patient that they would want. And then, um, you know, identifying if that is a solution that actually, you know, is, is the best way for them to build those relationships that, you know, that, that drive more business that way. And, uh, and so that's really what it is. And that's, uh, going back to, you know, having more of a, have a, of a dialogue with people. Yeah. Have you launched yet? We have not launched yet. We are waiting to tie in the right spread of businesses. So, you know, I want this to be not just about something that brings the, the, the residents together, but also brings together business community and is a resource for the residents. So, you know, rather than go get, 10 real estate agents to, you know, become partners with us to, to do ads. I want there to be, you know, some people in real estate. I want there to be people in insurance, people in, uh, financial services, uh, some gyms, physical therapists, you know, I want there to be a spread because I do want this to be a, a resource that not only, uh, is something that people look to for entertainment and information, but also, to find businesses that you know really want to build relationships with them and geographically like what's your do you have an area is it by like zip code or like what does that look like yeah so you know that's uh one of the things that we focus on is finding like kind of this hyper focused neighborhood so you know for us it's south eagle which you know for those that are in the area that are familiar it's those neighborhoods like uh, two rivers and the neighborhoods around the golf course there. Uh, all these these neighborhoods kind of run along Eagle Road uh, in the south part of Eagle. And what we found is that what gets engagement and what gets people interested is that it is focused on a neighborhood rather than like a larger swath of the whole town. Yeah, the whole town, because like you people will read it if they know people in it. Or they contributed stories that right. are in it where, you know, even though Eagle's a relatively small and pretty tight-knit community, it's still big enough that, like, you're not really going to be as interested about what someone in a completely different development on the other side of town is doing, right. you know? Yeah. Well, how are, you, uh, how are you enjoying
0: it so far, building this new business, this new venture?
1: I'm enjoying it so far. I'm, uh... I'm learning a lot, I am relearning a lot of things that I haven't had to, you know, like skills that become latent. Dusting off some stuff. Yeah, having like. to dust off some <laughs> stuff, having to, you know, having to go back through the roller coaster again. And a lot of it is also just like, I'm I'm an amateur again, I'm, I'm totally new again. Like I was, I worked really hard to become a master of my craft and fitness. And even though there are certain soft skills that carry over, there's not a whole lot that, that translates, uh, on the day to day. So it is humbling myself once again and, you know, working to refine some new skills, but I am really enjoying it because I'm also meeting a lot of cool people like yourself that I'm developing relationships with that. Otherwise I wouldn't have a reason to reach out to, you know, I mean, otherwise it would be easy for me to stay in my home office and never go out and just, you know, keep working with people digitally, but I, I want community. I want to meet people. And even if there isn't a sale to be made because it's not the right fit, the relationships are really cool. And, you know, one of the greatest things about being a trainer in Los Angeles was just the interesting and unique people I worked with. I mean, I, I mean, I had some of the most interesting clientele from Tommy Chong was one of my clients. He actually married my wife and I. He was the officiant at our <laughs> wedding to, you know, people and, you know, doing really unique things in food science and real estate and art and just the people I got to meet are, are great. And, I, and I, I fell in love with just meeting people that are doing interesting, innovative things, entrepreneurs, especially because there's just so much respect there. And so this is an opportunity to, to meet those kind of people in this community. Yeah. Well, buddy, I'm out of questions. Um,
0: I really appreciate you coming in. Your story is outstanding, um, and you've brought a lot of value to us today. So, so thank you. I really appreciate, you know, your competitive nature and the mix that you have with being competitive and being humble, I think is such a winning combination. The fact that you're not, you're willing to admit that you don't know everything and you're willing to learn from other people. You seem to be a lifelong learner. You're not afraid of taking risks, but your risks are calculated. They're well thought out. You've learned how to do the proper research to make sure you're minimizing your risks and, and, you know, you're starting a brand new venture that in something that you haven't done before, you know, at this chapter in your life, um, after being, you know, very successful in your last chapter. And so you've, you've collected so many skills and things that have brought you today that I know that what you're going to do moving forward will be a success too. But I, I appreciate you coming in and sharing your story. It's been awesome getting to know you a little bit and, uh, we wish you all the best.
1: Well, thank you. And I appreciate the opportunity to come and sit down and tell my story. And I hope people that listen to it are able to extract some some nuggets that help them out. And uh, yeah, happy to do it. Thank you. Appreciate yeah. you having me. Bye, buddy. Thanks, man.
0: All right. There you go. Thank you so much, Tanner, for coming on. That was outstanding. What a great story. I appreciate you spending some time with me. And um, we'll be watching you. All right. My name's Matt. This is none of my business. You can find me all over the place. I'm at, I'm at teatsagency.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at deetsagency, And I'm very active on LinkedIn. So why don't we connect? Again, I appreciate you listening. Thank you so much and keep up the good work.